Chapter One, Joseph, Part Fourteen of the Legends of the Jews, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Legends of the Jews, Volume Two, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Jacob receives the glad tidings. In blithe spirits, the sons of Jacob journeyed up to the land of Canaan. But when they reached the boundary line, they said to one another, How shall we do? If we appear before our father and tell him that Joseph is alive, he will be greatly frightened, and he will not be inclined to believe us. Besides, Joseph's last injunction to them had been to take heed and not startle their father with the tidings of joy. On coming close to their habitation, they caught sight of Sarah, the daughter of Asher, a very beautiful maiden, and very wise, who was skilled in playing upon the harp. They summoned her unto them, and gave her a harp, and bade her play before Jacob, and sing that which they should tell her. She sat down before Jacob, and with an agreeable melody she sang the following words, accompanying herself on the harp. Joseph, my uncle, liveth, he ruleth over the whole of Egypt, he is not dead. She repeated these words several times, and Jacob grew more and more pleasurably excited. His joy awakened the Holy Spirit in him, and he knew that she spoke the truth. The spirit of prophecy never visits a seer when he is in a state of lassitude or in a state of grief. It only comes together with joy. All the years of Joseph's separation from him, Jacob had had no prophetic visions, because he was always sad and only when Sarah's words reawakened the feeling of happiness in his heart, the prophetic spirit again took possession of him. Jacob rewarded her, therefore, with the words, My daughter, may death never have power over thee, for thou didst revive my spirit. And so it was. Sarah did not die. She entered paradise alive. At his bidding she repeated the words she had sung again and again, and they gave Jacob great joy and delight so that the Holy Spirit waxed stronger and stronger within him. While he was sitting thus in converse with Sarah, his sons appeared arrayed in all their magnificence, and with all the presents that Joseph had given them, and they spake to Jacob, saying, Glad tidings! Joseph, our brother, liveth. He is a ruler over the whole land of Egypt, and he sends thee a message of joy. At first Jacob would not believe them, but when they opened their packs, and showed him the presents Joseph had sent to all, he could not doubt of the truth of their words any longer. Joseph had had a premonition that his father would refuse to give his brethren credence, because they had tried to deceive him before, and it is the punishment of the liar that his words are not believed even when he speaks the truth. He had therefore said to them, If my father will not believe your words, Tell him that when I took leave of him, to see whether it was well with you, he had been teaching me the law of the heifer whose neck is broken in the valley. When they repeated this, every last vestige of Jacob's doubt disappeared, and he said, Great is the steadfastness of my son Joseph. In spite of all his sufferings he has remained constant in his piety. Yea, great are the benefits that the Lord hath conferred upon me. He saved me from the hands of Esau, and from the hands of Laban, and from the Canaanites who pursued me. I have tasted many joys, and I hope to see more, but never did I hope to set eyes upon Joseph again, and now I shall go down to him, and behold him before my death. Then Jacob and the members of his family put on the clothes Joseph had sent, among them a turban for Jacob, 
and they made all preparations to journey down into Egypt and dwell there with Joseph and his family. Hearing of his good fortune, the kings and the grandees of Canaan came to wait upon Jacob, and expressed sympathy with him in his joy, and he prepared a three days' banquet for them. Jacob, however, would not go down into Egypt without first inquiring whether it was the will of God that he should leave the Holy Land. He said, How can I leave the land of my fathers, the land of my birth, the land in which the Shekinah dwells, and go into an unclean land, inhabited by the slaves of the son of Ham, a land wherein there is no fear of God? Then he brought sacrifices in honor of God, in the expectation that a divine vision would descend upon him and instruct him whether to go down into Egypt or have Joseph come up to Canaan. He feared the sojourn in Egypt, for he remembered the vision he had had at Bethel on leaving his father's house, and he said to God, I resemble my father. As he was greedy in filling his maw, so am I, and therefore I would go down into Egypt in consequence of the famine. As my father preferred one son to the other, so I had a favorite son, and therefore I would go down into Egypt to see Joseph. But in this I do not resemble my father. He had only himself to provide for, and my house consists of seventy souls, and therefore am I compelled to go down into Egypt. The blessing which my father gave me was not fulfilled in me, but in my son Joseph, whom people serve, and before whom nations bow down. Then the Shekinah addressed Jacob, calling his name twice in token of love, and bidding him not to fear the Egyptian slavery foretold for the descendants of Abraham, for God would have pity upon the suffering of his children and deliver them from bondage. God furthermore said, I will go down into Egypt with thee, and the Shekinah accompanied Jacob thither, bringing the number of the company with which he entered Egypt up to seventy. But as Jacob entertained fears that his descendants would stay there forever, God gave him the assurance that he would lead him forth together with all the pious that were like unto him. And God also told Jacob that Joseph had remained steadfast in his piety even in Egypt, and he might dismiss all doubts from his mind on this score, for it was his anxiety on this account that he had induced Jacob to consider going down into Egypt. He wanted only to make sure of Joseph's faithfulness, and then return home, but God commanded him to go thither and remain there. Before Jacob left Canaan, he went to Beersheba, to hew down the cedars that Abraham had planted there, and take them with him to Egypt. For centuries these cedar trees remained in the possession of his descendants. They carried them with them when they left Egypt, and they used them in building the tabernacle. Although Joseph had put wagons at the disposal of his brethren for the removal of his family from Canaan to Egypt, they yet carried Jacob upon their arms, for which purpose they divided themselves into three divisions, one division after the other assuming the burden. As a reward for their filial devotion, God redeemed their descendants from Egypt. Judah was sent on ahead by his father to erect a dwelling in Goshen, and also a bet Hamidrash, that Jacob might set about instructing his sons at once after his arrival. He charged Judah with this honorable task in order to compensate him for a wrong he had done to him. All the years of Joseph's absence he had suspected Judah of having made away with Rachel's son. How little the suspicion was justified he realized now when Judah in particular had been assiduous in securing the safety of Benjamin, the other son of Rachel. Jacob therefore said to Judah, Thou hast done a pious, God-bidden deed, and hast shown thyself to be a man capable of carrying on negotiations with Joseph.' 
complete the work thou hast begun. Go to Goshen, and together with Joseph prepare all things for our coming. Indeed, continued Jacob, thou wast the cause of our going down into Egypt, for it was at thy suggestion that Joseph was sold as a slave, and also, through thy descendants, Israel will be led forth out of Egypt. When Joseph was informed of the approach of his father, he rejoiced exceedingly, chiefly because his coming would stop the talk of the Egyptians, who were constantly referring to him as the slave that had dominion over them. Now, thought Joseph, they will see my father and my brethren, and they will be convinced that I am a free-born man of noble stock. In his joy and anticipation of seeing his father, Joseph made ready his chariot with his own hands, without waiting for his servants to minister to him, and this loving action redounded later to the benefit of the Israelites, for it rendered of none effect Pharaoh's zeal in making ready his chariot himself with his own hands to pursue after the Israelites. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsberg Jacob Arrives in Egypt When the Egyptian nobles observed their viceroy completing his preparations to meet his father, they did the same. Indeed, Joseph had issued a proclamation throughout the land, threatening with death all that did not go forth to meet Jacob. The procession that accompanied him was composed of countless men, arrayed in vices and purple, and marching to the sound of all sorts of musical instruments. Even the women of Egypt had a part in the reception ceremonies. They ascended to the roofs of their houses and the walls of the cities, ready to greet Jacob with the music of cymbals and timbrels. Joseph wore the royal crown upon his head. Pharaoh had yielded it to him for the occasion. He descended from his chariot when he was at a distance of about fifty ells from his father, and walked the rest of the way on foot, and his example was followed by the princes and nobles of Egypt. When Jacob caught sight of the approaching procession, he was rejoiced, and even before he recognized Joseph, he bowed down before him, but for permitting his father to show him this mark of honor, punishment was visited upon Joseph. He died an untimely death, before the years of life assigned to him had elapsed. That no harm befell Jacob from a too sudden meeting with him, Joseph sent his oldest son ahead with five horses, the second son following closely after him in the same way. As each son approached, Jacob thought he beheld Joseph, and so he was prepared gradually to see him face to face. Meantime, Jacob had espied, from where he was seated, a man in royal robes among the Egyptians, a crown upon his head, and a purple mantle over his shoulders, and he asked Judah who it might be. When he was told that it was Joseph, his joy was great over the high dignity attained by his son. By this time Joseph had come close to his father, and he bowed himself down before him to the earth, and all the people with him likewise prostrated themselves. Then Joseph fell upon his father's neck, and he wept bitterly. He was particularly grieved that he had permitted his father to bow down before him, but a little while before without hindering it. At the very moment when Joseph embraced his father, Jacob was reciting the Shema, and he did not allow himself to be interrupted in his prayer. But then he said, When they brought me the report of the death of Joseph, I thought I was doomed to double death, that I should lose this world and the world to come as well. The Lord had promised to make me the ancestor of twelve tribes, and as the death of my son rendered it impossible that this promise should be realized, I feared I had incurred the doom by my own sins, and as a sinner I could not but expect to forfeit the future world too. 
but now that I have beheld thee alive, I know that my death will be only for the world here below. Such was the manner of Jacob's arrival in Egypt. He came with his whole family, sixty-nine persons they were in all, but the number was raised to seventy by the birth of Jacobed, afterward the mother of Moses, which took place when the cavalcade had advanced to the space between the one and the other city wall. All the males in his family were married men, even Palu and Hezron, the latter of whom was but one year old at the time of their migration, and the former but two years, had the wives with them that had been chosen for them by their parents. In general all the sons and grandsons of Jacob married young. Some of them had been fathers at the age of seven. Joseph took some from among his brethren, and presented them to Pharaoh. He chose the weakest of them, that the king might not be tempted to retain them in his service as warriors. And as he did not desire his family to live at close quarters with the Egyptians, and perhaps amalgamate with them, he introduced them as shepherds. The Egyptians worshipped the constellation of the rain, and paid divine honors to animals, and they kept aloof from shepherds. Pharaoh, therefore, was inclined to grant Joseph's wish, to give them the pasture-land of Goshen for their sojourning place, the land that was theirs by right, for the pharaoh that took Sarah away from Abraham by force had given it to her as her irrevocable possession. In their conversation with Pharaoh the brethren of Joseph made it plain to the Egyptian king that it was not their intention to remain in Egypt forever, it was to be only a temporary dwelling-place. Then Joseph set Jacob his father before Pharaoh, and when the king saw him he said to Og, who happened to be with him at that moment, Seest thou, Thou wast wont to call Abraham a sterile mule, and here is his grandson with a family of seventy persons. Og would not believe his own eyes. He thought Abraham was standing before him, so close was the resemblance between Jacob and his progenitor. Then Pharaoh asked about Jacob's age, to find out whether he actually was Jacob and not Abraham. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years using the word pilgrimage in reference to life on earth, which the pious regard as a temporary sojourn in alien lands. Few and evil, he continued, have been the days of the years of my life. In my youth I had to flee to a strange land on account of my brother Esau, and now, in my old age, I must again go to a strange land, and my days have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage." These words sufficed to convince Pharaoh and Og that the man standing before them was not Abraham, but his grandson. When Jacob uttered the words, The days of the years of my pilgrimage have been few and evil, God said to him, Jacob, I saved thee out of the hands of Esau and Laban. I restored Joseph unto thee, and made him to be a king and a ruler, and yet thou speakest of few and evil days. Because of thy ingratitude thou wilt not attain unto the days of the years of the life of thy fathers and Jacob died at an age thirty-three years less than his father Isaac's. On going out from the presence of Pharaoh, Jacob blessed the king with the words, May the years still in store for me be given unto thee, and may the Nile overflow its banks henceforth again and water the land. His words were fulfilled. In order to show that the pious are a blessing for the world, God caused the Nile to rise above its bed and fructify the land of Egypt. End of chapter 1, part 14